from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to Psalm 19, which can be found on page 472 in the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament claims his handwork. Day to day forth forth speech, and night to night declares the knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are words, their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are rejoicing the heart. All right. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More does he desire than they are gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can detect the errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servants also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gavin, thank you for that wonderful reading of Psalm 19. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 27 which can be found on page 84 of the New Testament portion of your pew Bible. Let us continue to listen for the word God has for us this morning. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still and looked sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? Jesus asked them, what things? They replied, 
the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray together. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Open these scriptures afresh to us this morning, that we might be transformed by your truth and renewed by your love. Amen. Over this past several weeks, we have been making our way through a sermon series that looks at each of the 12 values named in our long-range strategic plan. The hope for this sermon series is not only to dig into these values more deeply with you, but also to illustrate how they are rooted in Scripture and to invite all of us together to imagine how these values might inform us and guide us as we move toward our 175th anniversary in 2023. Tony has led us uh, through the first eight of these values, and today we turn to the ninth value, theological formation. Now, there are a number of texts from Scripture that I think lift up the value of purposeful study and engaged learning, but in my estimation, none does so more vividly than the text from Luke that we read just moments ago, the road to Emmaus story. As the story begins, we find two men on their road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about a seven miles walk. It was Easter Sunday afternoon, and as they traveled along, Jesus approaches but in the guise of a stranger. When he asked them what they were talking about, they recount some of the recent events surrounding Jesus' sentencing and death. And they include this story of this strange rumor that had begun to circulate earlier that day of an empty tomb. Suddenly, Jesus interrupts. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. On that Sunday afternoon, this no doubt was the first Sunday school lesson of all time, and probably also the greatest Sunday school lesson of all time. I don't know how long that lesson would have lasted. Perhaps Jesus lectured for hours as they meandered toward Emmaus, or perhaps in the model of a speaker in the TED Talk series, Jesus gave the talk of his life in 18 minutes or less. Regardless of how long it lasted, it's interesting to note what that lesson was about. Prior to the lesson beginning, these two men had all of the facts of the story. They had all of the information. They knew exactly what was going on and what had happened. What they lacked 
was an ability to make sense of it. What Jesus offers is not more information, but a way to understand those facts, a way to put together those pieces of information into a meaningful whole. One of the goals of my own teaching at seminary is to help students move from the what to the so what, from information and facts to meaning and significance. For it's in that move from the what to the so what that the true moment of learning and transformation happens. And so it was for these men that first Easter morning. In the verses that follow, we learn that their eyes are open, their hearts are warm, they recognize Jesus, and for the first time they understand that that rumor about an empty tomb was not an idle tale, but was the good news they had longed hoped for. For those two men, that road to Emmaus was a road to theological formation. My own road to theological formation happened quite literally on a highway, I-95 to be exact. It was a few years after I graduated from college and I was a Division I wrestling coach. And the university that I worked for offered a tuition reimbursement program as a way of encouraging its staff to take continuing education courses. And as a 25-year-old without much money, I was willing to do just about anything if someone else was willing to pay for it. And so though my undergraduate degree was in chemistry, I had some curiosity in the Bible and in theology. So I began taking some courses at a local seminary. Life was busy, and it was often the case that the only time I had to study was on those long bus trips to away matches up and down I-95. So there I was, I would pack my books along with my wrestling gear, and I would find a seat at the front of the bus, and I would settle in as the bus traversed up and down I-95, and I would study. I learned Hebrew on a bus. I learned Greek on a bus. I took my first Old Testament class on that bus, and I took my first New Testament class on that bus, and it was along these long road trips with a bunch of wrestlers that I first fell in love with Scripture, and I first sensed a call to study and to teaching. Looking back now some 15 years later, it seems rather implausible that my first experience with theological education happened on road trips with the wrestling team. But then again, those two men in Luke 24 probably were also surprised by what happened on their road trip to Emmaus. As a way of engaging Luke 24 more deeply this morning, and as a way of, of digging deeper into our value of theological formation, I want to think together about what it means for First Pres to be a church on the road to Emmaus. How do we individually take theological formation seriously as an act of discipleship? What would it look like for us as a church to imagine ourselves as a place where study and, and theological training happens? As a way of beginning to answer these and other related questions, I want to make three suggestions about what it might mean and what it might look like for us to be a church on the road to Emmaus. First, we need to see theological education not only as a degree for ministers, but as an act of discipleship 
for all believers. When most people think about theological education, the first things that come to mind are those master degrees that are offered at seminaries and divinity schools, like the Master of Divinity, or the Master of Practical Theology, or the Master of Theological Studies. To be sure, the, this is a form of theological education. And in this understanding, theological education is a type of professional training for ministers, something that prepares them to do their job or maybe even leads to ordination. And theological education is certainly this. It's certainly those degrees that you can get at a seminary. But it's also more than that. Theological education is something that can and should be central to the identity of every believer. Recall that Jesus' earliest followers weren't called Christians. That title came later. Jesus' earliest followers were called disciples. And the Greek word for disciple, mathetes, means one who studies and who learns from a teacher. To be a disciple in the early church meant that you were a pupil of Christ. It meant that you were a student of Scripture. In fact, in all of Scripture, conversion and faith was always meant to be followed by serious study. This is true in many cases, but especially of the Apostle Paul. We know that story from Acts 9 where Paul is converted on the road to Damascus. But what, what, what's often not remembered about that story is that after Paul's road to Damascus story, he goes to Arabia for three years. And we're not quite sure what happened during those three years, but many scholars have suggested that it was a period of study, of reflection, and of education that helped propel Paul along in his journey of faith. A similar practice is evident in the early church. Converts to Christianity, even before they joined the church, would enter a rigorous process of instruction called a catechumenate. And this catechumenate included teaching on a wide range of topics, and it could take, get this, it could take two or even three years to complete the catechumenate process. It culminated on the Saturday before Easter when the catechumens were baptized and officially welcomed as members of the church. Now, Stephanie, I don't mean to imply that we should have a three-year on-ramp class for those interested in joining First Presbyterian Church. But I do think what is clear from Scripture and the practice of the early church is this. The road to Damascus, that road towards faith and conversion, the road to Damascus was always meant to lead to the road to Emmaus. Those two roads always were meant to go together. Friends, to be a church who values theological formation means that we must see serious study and theological training not as something that people up here do because they're called to be ministers, but as something we all do because we're called to be disciples of Christ. Now second, as a church on the road to Emmaus, we, we need to begin to imagine the local church and even this specific church as a vibrant site for theological education. If I were to ask you to describe where theological education happens in this city, many of you would say things like the Candler School of Theology, Columbia Theological Seminary, Johnson C. Smith Seminary, McAfee, ITC. You would name some of the wonderful seminaries that, that are here in this city of ours. 
And to be sure, theological education happens at all of those places every day and in vibrant and important and essential ways. But from a historical perspective, seminaries and divinity schools are rather latecomers on the scene of theological education. The first seminary was not founded until 1563, and it was an initiative of the Council of Trent, one of the Catholic counter-responses to the Protestant Reformation. So 1563 was the first seminary, and it was a Catholic one. Now, Protestants soon followed suit with their own seminaries, but the point is, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, for the vast majority of Christian history, theological education happened in the church. And in, and, in, and in particular, it happened in large, urban, big steeple churches. These so-called cathedral churches functioned as sites of learning. They developed schools that brought together leading thinkers of the Western world for scholarship and for education. Now, while these cathedral schools eventually died out and were replaced more or less by what we know as universities today, I wonder... I wonder if those cathedral churches might not provide a model for us of how we might imagine theological education. What if large, big steeple, urban, stained glass churches like our own imagined itself as a site of theological education? What if instead of outsourcing the responsibility of theological education to seminaries and divinity schools, what if churches like ours saw it as our responsibility to provide that training in-house and for our congregants? What if theological education wasn't just for those who could enroll in seminary, but was for a wider audience of lay people and was meant to be integrated into their lives and their family and their busyness and their work? I think Jesus is up to something like this in Luke 24. You see, Jesus doesn't go to the two men and say, hey, look, if you really want to learn about what Moses and the prophets have to say about me, come down to the synagogue next semester, quit your job, and enroll in my Old Testament class. Now, that's a class I would want to take, don't get me wrong. But that's not what Jesus does in this story, right? What does Jesus do? He journeys with them. He goes along their way. He walks with them. He teaches them. He, he brings the education to them. The road to Emmaus was the first mobile classroom, perhaps, in Christian history. And this is exactly what we are trying to do through our Theology Matters program here at First Pres. And, and here I need to ask you for your forgiveness because I'm going to do about a two-minute infomercial and then return to the proper substance of my sermon. But forgive the infomercial. As many of you know, Theology Matters is our upper-level Christian education class here at First Pres. It consists of short, four-week classes that attempts to bring seminary-level education to laypersons, to you, in, in a context, in a format that's accessible and engaging. It's a way to get a taste of seminary without enrolling in seminary or paying tuition. Over the past 18 months, we've had five such courses, and over 120 members here at First Pres have participated. But Theology Matters is not just a live course, because it's hard to get to Midtown on Wednesday evenings. If you're working and have a family, and you have to face the traffic, not everyone can be here, or maybe you're singing in the choir. Not everyone can be here on Wednesday nights at 7 for Theology Matters. 
So, through the hope of our outstanding communications team, we have captured and packaged the content of each of those five courses into a standalone digital course, free of charge, complete with video, discussion notes, uh, discussion questions. You can even go on to iTunes, search Theology Matters, and subscribe to our podcast and have all of it streamed to your phones and your tablets. Our hope here is that this curriculum would, would help resource small groups, Sunday school classes, would help inform and enhance personal study as we all long towards and, and strive on our road to Emmaus. Theology Matters is just the start of our effort to make First Pres a leader and innovator in theological education. In the fall, we'll launch a new program called TheoEd Talks. Building off the model of the widely popular TED Talk series, we're going to be bringing together leaders, leading thinkers, in the church, the seminary, and the nonprofit world to give the talk of their lives in 18 minutes or less here on our campus about ideas that matter to our world and to our faith formation. Starting in September, we'll host these events semi-annually, and through time, we hope to build an archive of these theoed talks that can be accessed not only by you but by churches throughout the country and our denomination and maybe even the world that can spark meaningful conversations about faith and theology and infomercial as we live into this long-range strategic plan i invite you to join us join us for theology matters join us for our theoed talks Join us in thinking about the ways we can more creatively make this place a site for theological education for each of you and for this community as a whole. Now, third and finally, as a church on the road to Emmaus, we need to think of theological education as a means of outreach to the world. In the past several decades, I believe the church has made a tragic miscalculation. In the hopes of attracting the unchurched, in the hopes of being hospitable to non-believers, we have often thought that what is needed is to make Christianity easier, to simplify theology, to reduce the gospel to a few platitudes, to offer coffee and casual conversation to the exclusion of intellectual engagement. There are no doubt good intentions here, but what this strategy overlooks is the fact that what keeps many people away from church today is the unanswered questions they have about the Bible and theology. And I think this is especially true of the millennial generation. And here I want to be cautious about overgeneralized conclusions about a generation of people. But it's not so much that this millennial generation has grown disinterested in all things spiritual, although they're accused of this all the time. I think what's happening is that the millennial generation has grown dissatisfied with the watered-down answers and half-truths that we have given them for the serious questions they have about faith. To put it bluntly, if we ask visitors to check their brains at the door as they enter the church, it's not going to be long before they leave through the back door, never to return. Friends, I believe there is a hunger in this world and in our community for serious theological engagement. People are dissatisfied with Christianity light. People want to know about what to do with the difficult texts in the Bible that talk about violence and holy war. They, they want to know how to fill out their theological half-truths, to understand scripture in God in more nuanced and sophisticated ways. They want to know what the Bible has to say about issues that matter in our world 
To be sure, there aren't easy answers to these topics, but that's the point. Unless we are willing to have the conversation about these things in ways that are intellectually honest, our outreach and our relevance in the world is going to be greatly diminished. Friends, to be a church on the road to Emmaus, we must dare to elevate our discourse beyond platitudes and cliches. We must dare to engage difficult questions about scripture with intellectual honesty. And we must dare to imagine theological education as perhaps the most powerful tool of evangelism that the church has in the 21st century. What does it mean to be a church on the road to Emmaus? It means being convinced that theological education isn't just training for ministers, but is an act of discipleship for all believers. It means thinking of First Pres and other churches as, as vibrant sites for scholarship and theological training. It means thinking of theological education not just as a ministry we offer believers, but as a mode of outreach to the world. In doing these and other things, I believe that we as a church and as individuals will join those two men on that road to Emmaus in experiencing deeper theological formation. Amen. together on the road to Emmaus, seeking God, trying to be students and followers as we are called to be. And as we go, may we all go in confidence and courage because the peace of Jesus Christ goes with us. Amen. Amen.